With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land's A Stick to Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Tamanini, and welcome back to this silly and slightly off-kilter podcast where we, of course, will talk about Ohio State athletics, but more often than not, we avoid the X's and O's of said sports and dive into whatever is going on around the periphery of the games as well as what's keeping us occupied and entertained in between. For the second week in a row, and hopefully for the second of many weeks to come, I am joined by the one and only former editor-in-chief of The Lantern, Jamie Urich. Jamie, you have a big uh, party, virtual quarantine party to get to tonight, so I don't want to take too much of your time with the intro, but how are things in Los Angeles today? They are lovely. It's like a nice 70 degree day. Um, It's going well. How are things by you? Good. It's 67 degrees in Florida as I record, um, three hours ahead of you time-wise. So we're probably in the same climatey type things now. I am heading to New York in just about two weeks, two and a half weeks. So I'm already bracing for the frigid February temperatures that will remind me why I live in Florida. Do you find that it is harder to deal with the cold temperatures because you live in Florida? You know, like I always joke that like my blood is thin since I've lived in the South for 
I guess now going on 15 years, but I'm a Midwest kid. I'm an Ohio, Central Ohio, Columbus kid. Um, I generally don't feel that cold when I'm in New York because I'm generally in Midtown and there's all those buildings. The wind is really bad, but like as long as you're walking, it's not that big a deal. When I go to like Ohio, where you don't have the protection from these huge tall buildings and you aren't like walking and keeping your heart rate up, that's when I feel the cold get a little worse. Yes. I do feel because I lived in LA right after college and then moved to New York and I had a much harder time with the New York winters coming from LA than I thought that I would. Yeah, makes sense. Turned me into such a baby. My parents make fun of me. Is that the is that the Los Angeles climate or the Los Angeles um personality and temperament that is in, uh, infecting it, you? Definitely the climate. And like, I'll put a coat, like a coat coat on when it's like 50 degrees now. Yeah, but like people in LA complain when it rains, like. Okay, I'm going to defend the rain really quickly. I don't want to like get off on too much of a tangent, but I used to make fun of people in LA who cannot drive in the rain. It's like a running joke. If it's raining, the traffic is somehow going to be worse than it is on a normal day, which is already atrocious. Um I learned the hard way that part of the reason it is so hard to drive in the rain is because it never rains here. And there is so much traffic that all of the like oil and gas runoff sits on the freeways and just dries onto the pavement. And then when it rains, it all mixes together and creates almost like a black ice situation. So it becomes extremely dangerous to drive in the rain. And I learned that by skidding down the shoulder of the freeway. This has been Commuting with Jamie. Tune in next week where she <laughs> talks about the, uh, Kennedy the Expressway. Well, the Kennedy Expressway in Chicago is where I was going to go, but that's okay. Um, all right. So let's get into what we wanted to talk about at the top of the show. Jamie, we are recording on Friday. This is coming out on Saturday. The last few days have been chock full of coaching changes for Ohio State, specifically on the defense side of the ball. Of course, we already knew that um, Ryan Day had hired former Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles to take over the same position uh, for the Buckeyes. He was hired before the bowl game, and that means we knew that there would probably be more changes. Matt Barnes had already left to become the defensive coordinator at Memphis, so they technically had the right number of assistant coaches, but you had to expect that Jim Knowles coming in, he was uh, selected as the defensive coordinator of the year in all of college sports. You would figure he would like to have his fingerprints on the defense that he would be running. So here is who we have coming in to take over at Ohio State. We have former Cincinnati cornerbacks coach Perry Eliano, who is going to now take over the safeties for the Buckeyes. Then we have Tim Walton, who is a former Ohio State captain and a Big Ten champion from the early 90s, who has gone on to not only coach in college, but he's also been a defensive coordinator in the NFL for the Rams. Most recently, and this isn't exactly the best part of this news, he worked for the Jacksonville Jaguars under Urban Meyer, but technically, he actually predated Urban Meyer with the Jaguars. He actually started there in 2019 and stayed on an Urban Meyer's staff. He is now back to be technically the secondaries coach and focusing on the cornerbacks. Um, 
Knowles has also hired a couple of off-field coaches that he worked with uh, at Oklahoma State. Those are quality control guys, graduate assistants. One of the quality control coaches will also serve as the de facto linebackers coach because current linebackers coach Al Washington will not be retained. He will actually be fired uh, because he still had another year on his contract. But if you're also keeping score at home because they have added a cornerbacks coach, that means that Kerry Combs will not be returning for the Buckeyes. Now, Jamie, there's a lot of ways that we can talk about Kerry Combs' second tenure at Ohio State and especially how it ended. But let's start on the field. Um, early in the season, like literally at halftime of the Oregon game, Gene Ross wrote an article for us that went up before the second half even started saying that Kerry Combs needed to be fired or lose his defensive coordinator responsibilities. That happened a week or so later. But he's still an Ohio State legend. So where are you coming down on getting rid of Kerry Combs from the football side of things? So it's tricky because there is no arguing with the fact that he was one of the best position coaches that the Buckeyes have ever had. Um, when he was the cornerbacks coach, every single one of his starters from that six years, I believe, reached the NFL. Yeah. And most of them, if not all of them, drafted in the first round. Correct. So it's really hard to argue with that legacy. Um, but then obviously, once he moved into that defensive coordinator position, I mean, when you look at that national championship runner up team in 2020, the the past defense was just horrendous and so it's like to have reached that level of success with such a mediocre defense and I think that's probably even being generous um speaks to the offensive dominance but also is like raises some questions with the coaching yeah in 2021 this past season Ohio State was ranked uh, was ranked 96th in pass defense on for the in the entire country coming in with 245.8 yards allowed on the season but even at 96 that was a significant increase because that 2020 season that you mentioned they were 122nd out of a whopping 127 Division I schools, giving up exactly 304 yards per game. And I agree. I mean, Kerry Combs as a position coach is uh, remarkable. He's had a tremendous run at Ohio State. He did very well. People thought he was very good for the Tennessee Titans. But, you know, there's this thing called the Peter Principle, where you do such a good job at one specific thing that you keep getting promoted. But at some point, you get to a position that you are just not capable of executing the same way that you did at the lower positions. I feel like with giving Kerry Combs, someone who has never in his entire life been a coordinator, uh, and he's been an a high school, college, and NFL coach never once was a coordinator. He was approaching 60 when he returned to Ohio State. That didn't make a ton of sense to make him the defensive coordinator when he never done it before, especially when you were giving him play calling responsibilities, even though he technically shared the defensive coordinator position with Greg Madison in 2020. So it's, it, I just kind of feel like Ryan Day set him up to fail and didn't give him the support that he could have had to be successful. If he would have put him with somebody else to call plays and just kind of let him figure things out, maybe he would have 
been better. I I don't think that he has the scheme talent to do that, but it, it was a a it was destined to fail given the circumstances of who he, Combs was and who Day put with him. Absolutely, and I think um, to that end, like he certainly wasn't set up for success. And one of the arguments in 2020 where people cut him a lot of slack was that he didn't do a lot of that recruiting. Um, so he was kind of put in a position where he had to work with what he was given and without the scheme know-how, um, that's really challenging to do. So coming into 2021, he obviously had a little bit more, um, influence over the recruiting that was done, but it's still, you're still not at a point where you've recruited everyone that is playing under you. And I don't know that he was set up to be successful in this role. Yeah. And the other part of that 2020 season was the fact that he came in to take over as defensive coordinator at the height of the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic. So there was a ton of things that normally he could have been able to do during the spring, during the summer, that he just wasn't because people weren't allowed to gather uh, in groups as much as they were then. Everything was virtual. You couldn't really always get with your players. So I get that. And I did cut him more slack than he probably deserved coming out of 2020 just because we'd seen him be so successful. I assumed that he would figure it out. Unfortunately, he did not. But the other side of this, and this is always kind of where my head and I guess heart go, Jamie, is Despite the fact that mentally and, uh, you know, analytically, I understand that this is probably the best move for Ohio State, especially bringing in a new defensive coordinator who runs a completely different scheme than what Kerry Combs was doing. I mean, there are similar. It also kind of looks like a 4-2-5 defense, but he tends to have guys in different positions will oftentimes run five safeties at a time. So but what's sad to me is that like. Kerry Combs, for all intents and purposes, was Ohio State in a lot of ways. He was a guy who was very visible, very vocal about Ohio State. He was the guy who, as far as I can remember, originated the idea of a boom whenever a a recruit committed. He was high energy, high intensity, high passion, a guy that was always out, as he said, planting flags in different states, trying to get the best talent out of Michigan, out of Florida, out of California to come to Ohio State. And he was beloved. I mean, I don't know if he was... Was the beginning of his career, did that overlap with your time at Ohio State at all? He started in the 2012 season with the Buckeyes. So, right. So it, he started the year after I graduated. Okay. But I mean, he he was beloved. Like fans, everybody loved him because of what he brought. And it's just kind of sad to me to see him leaving kind of as somebody who everybody is happy to see go. And I, And I think you can differentiate between the football side of things and thinking this is good for the Buckeyes, but also kind of feeling bad that this is how it ended for a guy who should go down as an absolute legend for Ohio State. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is definitely one of those times where like the head and the heart are not aligned because it is the right move for the team moving forward. And I think that if they're going to compete with like in Alabama, for example, in coming seasons, they have to get their defense in order. And this is a step that they have to take, but it doesn't bring me any pleasure to see this kind of be a footnote on his legacy when up to this point, his legacy was nothing but positive. Yeah, I wrote an article 
I guess it was the week before the Rose Bowl, and I kind of outlined what I thought Ryan Day should do with the coaching staff moving forward. And I was admittedly in the article torn on what I thought you you could do with Kerry Combs because I thought that there was a way that they could keep him. He still recruits at a very high level. He still has plenty of energy. He hasn't lost his expertise in coaching cornerbacks. Um, so I thought that you could have found a way to keep him on staff, but I thought it was also contingent on him feeling like he wanted to stay on staff in a demoted role. Uh, he's clearly had a ton of success. I would not be surprised if he ends up either back with the Titans or back in the NFL somewhere. Um, but guys at that level, even people who I think are really good human beings, like I think Kerry Combs is, that's a tough pill to swallow when you go from being the defensive coordinator to losing that position and going just to being a position coach. I didn't know if he'd be willing to do it. I thought if he was, it was worth considering. Ultimately, Jim Knowles and Ryan Day decided to basically clear house on the defensive side of the ball, other than Larry Johnson, who is staying at defensive line coach. But I wish him the, the best. I will still consider him a Buckeye forever, um, unless he does something to make me regret saying that on a podcast that'll be available on the internet in perpetuity. But... I, I'm very happy for him to find a new job, but I'm also kind of geeked out about who Ohio State has coming in to replace him. Oh, absolutely. I think that um, when you look at the talent that's coming in, it does position our defense in a really great spot to kind of fill some of those gaps that we've seen in the last two years. All right, Jimmy, real quick, let's take a break right now before we get into some of our non-football or Ohio State-related conversations. We are going to talk about a movie that you and I both just saw, and that is The New Scream. So stay tuned for that after this break. All right, Jamie, so you and I both separately, obviously opposite coasts, got to see the new Scream movie this week. You are a Scream aficionado. I am somebody who's seen the original, maybe the second, can't really remember, but was always um, aware of it through zeitgeisty things. We are not going to talk about specifics. We are not going to spoil this at all for you. It is a movie that needs to be seen. And since it is kind of like a slasher whodunit type thing, we don't want to ruin the surprises in this movie. So don't feel like you can't listen because of that. And if we do get into that, I'll bleep it out. So Jamie, before we talk about this movie specifically, recount for the listeners what your feelings and experiences are with the Scream franchise. Um, I am obsessed with the Scream franchise. Okay, got it. And yeah. So I have a deep love of both the Halloween franchise and the Scream franchise. Those are my favorites with the acknowledgement that Halloween is a home is a mess as a franchise. Like, yeah, but I enjoy the mess. Um, and I love Michael Myers. Uh, I, spent all of Saturday binge watching all of the screams in order again to prepare for this. It just brings me joy. Ghostface brings me joy. Sydney Prescott is an eternal badass and my favorite final girl. And uh, I was really, really excited for this one to come out. Did you include the Scream TV show in your rewatch? I did not include that in my rewatch, but I have watched it, of course. Okay, got it. So is that connected to the movies in anything other than name and themes? Um, there are elements of overlap. 
trying to think of like how to explain it. Without. But not like it's not in the I mean, it's like a shared universe, but there's not like characters coming back and forth. Like you don't need to watch the TV show to under like there's not it's not changing plot lines in the films. Okay, kind of got thing. it. All right. So coming into this new 2021 version of of Scream, it stars um, uh, Melissa Barrera, who you and I both probably know best from the In the Heights movie that came out last summer. Um, also stars Jenna Ortega, who I know as one of the multiple young Jane Villanuevas from Jane the Virgin. Um, they oh star. Gosh, that's where she's from. I couldn't place her. Yes, Thank you. She's one of the young Janes. Um, and there's they have a bunch of other friends and kids in there as well. But it also features uh, stars from the original series, David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and a ton of other people that I'm sure you recognized. Uh, Skeet Ulrich is in there too. Uh, Heather uh, Matarazzaro um, shows up. Um, uh, it's just a, a, a who's who of people from the original franchise. And again, not going to get into super a lot of details, but Ghostface shows up, attacks Jenna Ortega's character, Tara, and that brings Melissa back to what's the name of the town? I can never remember. Woodsboro. Woodsboro, right. Brings her back and the killings and everything ensues from there. The thing that I loved about this movie, and I'm sure you appreciated even more than me, is that much like the original Scream, this was a commentary on the whole horror genre. And it was a commentary on Scream, the franchise itself. It was a con uh, a commentary on movie franchises on reboots on requels as which is a term that even me working in entertainment for as long as i have i've never heard before um a commentary on fandom i thought in every aspect this was an absolute home run i thought it was incredibly interesting how they kind of made things fit a very interesting view of entertainment but i also thought the story of Sam and Tara and their friends and the new ghost face worked really well on its own. So I, that's me as kind of like the outsider, but you as the scream aficionado, how did you feel about it? So without, there were a couple of things with the original cast that I would say kind of um, make me hesitant. However, and I, again, I will not spoil anything. So that is all I will say on that. Um, people who have seen it, who are scream aficionados will probably know what I'm talking about when they see it. Um, however, I thought that something that this film did so brilliantly is that it very closely mirrored the tone and the spirit of the original scream um, in a way that I don't think that three and four necessarily did. I love them. They are a little campier. No, they're a lot campier than one and two. Um, and so people are kind of mixed on their feelings about three and four. I enjoy them for what they are and I enjoy the camp. This film definitely got back to the spirit of that original film. And it was a really nice return to that. Um, I think it was a really lovely and beautiful way to honor Wes Craven. Yeah. And there's little Easter eggs sprinkled throughout. There's a character named Wes in there um, that I thought was, uh, was a nice little tribute. And uh, so that was very cool. The um, thing that I loved about this is like it was so conscious of what it was trying to do in terms of 
getting the most bang for its scare buck out of people. They knew when to swell the music. They knew when to like have a door open and close a walkway. So you're like, oh my God, when they close the door, is Ghostface going to be there? And sometimes Ghostface would be there. Sometimes he wouldn't be there. And they knew how to play with those tropes of of horror films so that when the music starts building, and then like, you're like, oh my God, he's going to be there. And then nothing happens. It, it not only gives you this like mini anticipatory excitement about what's going to happen, but then it also prepares you for when something does happen. When Ghostface does show up, you aren't 100% sure when it's going to happen. So I, I thought it was really, really fantastic on how they kind of constructed everything and made it a, a movie to where like, no matter how well you know horror movies, no matter how well you know the genres, whether it's Scream or anything else, you can't really ever know for sure what's going to happen uh, because they really played with your expectations from start to finish. Yes. I also think um, something that was really enjoyable for me was that the killer was clearly having a great time um, playing a Scream killer. So that was really fun to see. Like, what do you mean? The, what do you mean by that? Like the the performance, because I'm I'm trying speaking in very vague terms because I don't gotcha. want to spoil any of the killer mm-hmm. situation. The performance from that actor, from the, from the person that's eventually revealed to be under Ghostface. Was, gotcha. Like they were having an absolute ball playing Ghostface, and that yeah. was so much fun to watch especially because something that was a little bit different from this film than the previous ones is Ghostface. And I, I assume that this was a, a choice that was made was a little bit scarier than in the earlier films. So in the earlier ones, there's a little bit of like physical comedy where Ghostface will kind of like stick his head around the corner, almost in a way that's like mocking the victim and kind of, it feels like, like he's breaking the fourth wall and like winking at the audience. Um, Almost like it could have been from Scary Movie rather than Scream itself. Correct. And so this one had a little bit less of that kind of winking at the audience feel. And the kills were definitely more brutal than they've been in the past. Um, So they certainly upped the ante in that regard, which I thought was really fun to watch. Um, Just because it's like a slight departure, but not in any way that disrespects or disregards the spirit of the franchise. So were you pleased, again, no spoilers, were you pleased with the ending and the reveal as to the wrap-up, not only of who Ghostface was, but how the legacy characters um, figured into this movie? Did this satisfy you as a Scream expert? It did, and I also think it left me feeling cautiously optimistic that if they continue the series that the final girl situation is in very good hands um yes i i really enjoyed it so final girl that's like sydney was the original final girl correct and then and now there's a new final girl there's like a little bit of a passing of the torch and again without spoiling it i don't want to reveal any more than that because it would reveal who it is but um I, I do just kind of love that there was a little bit of a torch passing um, in a way that I that leaves me really excited where if they were to continue the franchise, 
I would feel comfortable with that it's in good hands. Yeah. And I really liked some of the new supporting characters that they had in this one. Jasmine Savoy Brown is somebody who I've liked in a lot of different things um, Mm -hmm. over the years. Like I loved The Leftovers. I think I mentioned The Leftovers last week when we talked about uh, my favorite shows of all time, but she's done a bunch of stuff. Like she was really good as one of like the friends um, of, of the main character. She's kind of appeal appeared in some other things throughout the year. She's on yellow jackets right now. Um, So she was really good. What's that? As she's she's excellent in Yellow Jackets and she's yeah. excellent in Scream as well. Yeah, so I've really enjoyed this. I think it's a great movie for not only people like Jamie who know and love this franchise or people like me who are just like kind of familiar with it. Um, so I, I really recommend this. It did a really well on its opening night, like $3.5 million for a Thursday in the middle of a pandemic is pretty good. So hopefully this does well enough to continue this going. I would be very, very interested in seeing um, what they do next with it. And like I said, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega are both people that I really enjoy from previous things. And I thought they really kind of killed it, no pun intended, um, as as kind of being the initial victims, at least, of, of Ghostface in this one. For sure. Yep, absolutely agree with that. And All it right. was just like really lovely to see the original cast back. Yeah, because we don't see like, I mean, maybe she's out there, but like, I don't see a ton of Nev Campbell projects out there. Like, I don't see a ton of David Arquette stuff. Obviously, Courtney Cox had the whole Friends reunion thing last year, and she did Cougar Town for a long time. But like, I don't feel like either of these three are super, super active uh, in terms of turning out new projects year after year. Yeah, I know that um, like Nev Campbell's, she was on House of Cards for a little bit, and she's done... She's done some work since, of course, but certainly like Scream is, is like the thing for her. So um, it was, it was just really lovely to see her back. And Sydney is just such a cool character. So I love having her back in this film. I think it would feel strange to watch a Scream film without her after this much time. Yeah. All right, so let's wrap up the episode, Jamie, as we are wont to do by recommending things for people that are outside of what they might normally be watching or aware of. Uh, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Um, you can go first. So here's the thing. I have developed a deep and abiding love for The Great British Bake Off. So much so that starting towards, I don't know, probably October, November of, of 2021, what year are we? 2021. Um, I just started binging from the beginning. I'd already watched the last two seasons that have been released. I guess that's series 11 and 12, I think. Um, the most two most recent on Netflix, I watched those already. So I was like, I need to go back and watch everything from the beginning. I got a ways in, and then for a reason that will be revealed um, in the coming weeks, I had to stop for, again, said reasons. But that left a huge major hole in my viewing schedule because I kind of just watched it while I was like in bed with my laptop, like finishing up work or answering emails or like something I didn't have to focus on specifically, but I could have in the background and I could stop when like things got good or there was judging. Um, but I couldn't do that anymore because I needed to stop watching for a professional reason. So I putzed around. I made a list of all of the baking shows on streaming services, and I started to go through them to try to see if I wanted to settle on any of them. I watched a ton of things. I watched um, Baker's Dozen on Hulu, which I still kind of dip in and out of. It's not great, but it's fine. I watched a ton of the Discovery Plus Food Network things, but they're all the exact same. And it's just like, 
meh, it's fine. It doesn't have the the heart or anything even approaching the creativity and humanity of Great British Bake Off. But I stumbled across a thing that's actually from Food Network Canada. It's not on Discovery Plus, but it's on Hulu. It is a show called Project Bakeover. There's only one season, 10 episodes. Season two is currently in development. Um, and it features a Canadian pastry chef named Steve Hodge, who... Jamie, you'll appreciate this reference, looks eerily like Ramin Karamloo. And uh, yes. yes, with the muscles and everything. And he goes into bakeries that are struggling. It's very much like a bar rescue thing. But unlike bar rescue, where that guy just yells at everybody all the time, he's very sweet. He's very direct and, you know, makes sure they knew, knows what needs to be done. Uh, but he you know, teaches them three new menu items, helps them get rid of things that aren't working well, helps them organize the back uh, the back end of the business. And then he brings in a phenomenally fun and exciting designer named Tiffany Pratt, who redesigns their front of house. And then at the end of this week where they're closed, they debut a new menu, debut a new look. And it's just really sweet. And, and as somebody for me who's going through a little bit of a, a career change, um, it was really nice to see people on the show who are kind of like at their wits end with their job and like don't know how to do this thing that they are passionate about and that they love better and to be successful at it to see kind of the love and compassion that Steve and Tiffany come in with to help them was really really sweet and it, and it hit all of the GBBO cockles of my heart that make me feel good while I'm watching it I don't eat sugar or starch. I haven't had sugar or starch. And as of Monday, it'll be an entire calendar year. So it's not like I watch these things and go and bake them. But I still love the baking shows when they're done well, because it's often more about the people than it is the food itself. So I recommend Project Bakeover season one. It's just 10 episodes. It is on Hulu now. Running a successful bakery is hard. We're in a tough spot. I'm just so overwhelmed. Just a lot. Six out of ten bakeries go bust within the first year. It's been over a year since I got a real paycheck. I don't know how much longer we can do this. I'm Steve Hodge, award-winning pastry chef and bakery owner. And I'm on a mission to help struggling bakers turn their businesses around. I'm going to give this cupcake a makeover. I want to take what you make in your store and make it even better. People eat with their eyes first. Ooh, oh, look at the layers on that. It's really good. Is that worthy of a spoon drop? <laughs> it's delicious. And while I shake up the menu, Whoa. acclaimed designer Tiffany Pratt will totally transform the look of their bakery in just one week. Amazing new tiles. Look at these babies. That's so you. I'm going to make this puppy sing. Holy peacock. It's go big or go home. I am going to recommend a film that dropped on Hulu at midnight tonight, or I guess last night, yeah. um, called Bergman Island. Um, it is a really beautiful drama romance indie film. Um, and it is about a filmmaking couple that travels to the island where Ingmar Bergman lived and filmed much of his acclaimed uh, cinema and they complete kind of a residency there on this island. So it's um, it's really, really stunning. The cinematography is spectacular. The screenplay is one of the strongest this year. And the performances are absolutely beautiful. And if that's not enough to sell you, there is an exceptional uh, ABBA dance scene. Well, that, I mean, any movie that doesn't have an ABBA dance scene does not deserve to be watched at all. So... Correct. Is it in English? It is in English, yes. And so 
the the director um, actually generally does foreign language films, but this was her first film in English and it is spectacular. It is available on Hulu, um, Bergman Island. This place is perfect for working, easy to live in. Wow. <laughs> you do realize we're going to sleep in the bed, but I should see from a marriage. A film that made millions of people divorce. Ah, shit. Fuck, sorry. We have to maybe sleep in the other bedroom. I want to be with you. I never mentioned you to my girlfriend, but she's jealous of you. You know how hard writing is for me? It's, it's torture, it's self-inflicted agony. It's... Do something else. Like what? Full-time housewife? I really thought you would encourage me. Are you angry? Why are not me? I don't know. It's just life. I love that. I have a list of ongoing movies that I need to watch and catch up on and like good movies that are coming up this year. I'm trying really hard to get back into my TV and movie watching days. Um, I used to be a TV and film critic. I haven't watched much in the last few years. So I'm adding this to my very, very long list. All right, everybody, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land Stick to Sports Podcast. If you're finding this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness. And if you like this kind of quasi-sports and entertainment uh, show, please leave us a rating and review. As always, you can find Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. Jamie, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Jamie Urich. All right, everybody. Thank you to the six and a half of you that are still listening to this episode. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.